0: I normally don't teach from my, my computer, but I, I am today, so give, you know, I'm, you may see me like this. I'm not used to doing that, so I'm going to try my best. So have some grace on me, please. I know you guys are graceful people, right? Amen. Thank you, graceful people, <laughs> as you come in. Um, so, you know, when he called me, I, I, I kind of just, I just said, hey, I'll take it, right? But I didn't think about that. I really didn't. I just said, hey, I'll take it. And when I hung up, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to teach. Like, I don't know. I have no idea where I'm going to go, right? So... I'm like, Lord, okay, so this passage is a very familiar passage in 1 Samuel 16, and so this has kind of been like the passage of the season for my life right now, Um, and so this is where the Lord has led me, and so this is where we're going to be. So before I start, let's pray for the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to uh, speak to us. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you once again um, that you're faithful. Lord, we thank you that your Word doesn't return back void, and Lord, as you said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away but your words will by no means pass away. And Lord, I do pray that I would step aside. I would just be your conduit for your word to flow, Lord, because it's your words that they are truth, they are life, they are spirit. And Lord, that's what we need. Uh, We don't need the words or wisdom of man, uh, but we need your word that comes forth in the power and demonstration of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So Lord, be glorified. Uh, May those who have ears, let them hear. And Lord, may this word, uh, go, not just go in one ear and out the other, Lord, but in one ear into the depths of our heart to transform us, to love you, to serve you, to live for you. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the Saint said, amen. amen, amen. So I titled the message, After God's Own Heart. So the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the entire earth for one he can show himself strong to on account whose heart is loyal to him. And so God's not looking for the most successful person God's not looking for the person who owns a lot of businesses and has a lot of money or the most athletic, uh, intelligent, gifted person. God is not looking for the person with the most worldly accolades um, or the person with the most followers or whatever social media platform you guys have. God is not looking for that person. Neither does God care about what that individual has to offer if it's not to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? And so God is looking for the person. And when he says, "Uh, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? he's looking for the person who responds and says, here I am. Choose me, Lord. He's he's, he's looking for the person, when he calls our name, we say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, right? Amen. So so God is looking for the person, when he says, seek my heart, we respond and say, your heart, Lord, will I seek, like King David. That's the person that that God is is looking for. And so I'm going to give a quick background because I am starting in the middle of the chapter. And I know we went over First and Second Samuel like a few years ago, but repetition is the father of learning. So, we're going to be repetitive, all right? So, First and Second Samuel quick background is First Samuel covers the transition from the period of the judges to the monarchy monarchy in Israel. So, if you guys remember how judges ended, tragic. They go through this cycle of obeying God and then disobeying God, and then God comes and gives a deliver. And then they're back at it. okay, yeah, 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 they look around Okay, disobeying God again, and so they went through this uh, repetitive cycle of obeying God and then disobeying God and being delivered to the enemies, and then obeying God and then disobeying God and being delivered to enemies, and the book of Judges ends like this, and it said that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yikes. Sounds like today. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing's changed, right? And so that's how the book of Judges ends. And then we go into 1 Samuel, and the focus in 1 Samuel is on the prophet Samuel and then Israel's first two kings, which were Saul and, yes, Old Testament scholars. I love it. I love it. Um, And that's whom God used to anoint uh, the two kings. And so ultimately, Saul was the people's choice, right? They look around, and if you guys remember when they came out of Israel, I mean out of Exodus... And then got brought into the promised land, God, he made it, made it very clear. Like, look, so there, there's these people, right? There's these nations that are there, okay? And so they're, they're, they're ungodly, right? You're supposed to be a light to them. And so you go in there and, and you, can't, you can't copy them, right? Can't be a copycat. You can't go in there and make marriages with these people. You can't go in there and make covenants with these people because they're going to be a snare unto you. And then they're going to cause you to turn away from me, right? I think God knew a little something, Right? Okay. Amen. He did. And so they came into the land and they did exactly that. They made marriages, they intermixed and, and went into rebellion. And then they looked around and they said, well, wait a minute, like all these ungodly nations, they have a king. Make a, we want a king like the other nations. And so God said, okay, you've ultimately rejected me as king. So I'm going to give you a, a man after your own heart. And it was King Saul, right? It was King Saul. And the result was a disaster. It was a disaster. And so this is what happens when we follow the world and not the Word, amen, is that when we follow what the world is doing, because they change back and forth, they get tossed to and from, from every new trend in culture, it changes and then it comes back around with a different uniform, right? We saw that about 20 years ago, now it's coming back around and it just just has a different uniform, but we know what it is. It always ends up in disaster, right? And so we can learn a lot from uh, the Bible. Amen, right? We can learn a lot from the Old Testament. Paul said these things were written for our learning. And so we can look and learn from the Old Testament and not have to learn from our own experience of doing it, right? Amen. So the result was a disaster. And I believe the same is, is with us whenever we don't follow uh, God. And so Saul and David, like uh, some people say there's a, there's a contrast between the, the spirit-filled life and the carnal life. Obviously, Saul is a carnal life. David would be a spirit-filled life. So as the people of Israel made it out of Judges' cycle, the ending was tragic. And Saul, I believe, was a picture of the carnal life. He was the people's champ, the people's choice. He was, if you guys remember, he was head and shoulders above the rest, right? He was beautiful. And some would say, now, I don't know. Like, I didn't go to original language. I don't know. But it said he was beautiful, than, more beautiful than everyone. So that means the ladies too, right? Everyone. So imagine that. He's probably like seven feet tall, strong, muscles, right? Could be, you know, an army, an army model, right, in the magazines in these days, okay? And he just really looked the part. Like, he was that guy. If he shows up, oh, yeah, that's the man. That's why I want to lead us. That's why I want to be our champion. And so God said, okay, that's the guy. That's who they want. They can have him. He shined bright like a diamond, as some would say. And so what he did was he fulfilled the carnal eyes of humanity. Is that they saw it. They said, oh, yeah, that's him. Not even thinking about what God desired. Remember, the best, I think the best government, form of government is a theocracy where God rules. Amen? And ultimately, He's in charge because of our sin, though there's some limitations there that, that we do because of our sin, right? So if you guys remember, Saul started off as a great king. He was humble, and then quick success led him to destruction. Um, and we'll slowly go over that as we go through the text. So Saul was, in a way, chosen over the Lord as the people demanded a king that was not the Lord. So a few quick questions for you guys. How many times, and, and just get your get your mind ready, do we choose our own will over God's will? The whole time, right? We sometimes don't even think about it. We, we go with what looks good, feels good, tastes good, right? And we don't even consider, is it good for us? And is it good for our relationship with God and our relationship with people, right? How does it normally turn out, right? There, there Thanks, so there has to come a point in time where I stop experimenting and start obeying. Amen? Where I, where I stop saying, you know, what? I know last time it went that way, but I think this time it's going to be a little different. I think they have a word for those type of people, right? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. I think the word is insanity. I didn't say it. What do y'all said? It. I think the word is insanity, okay? <laughs> That's not good. So, a question is, is God's will best for us? That is a yes, a double yes, right? Sometimes, often, or always. Always. His will is always good for us. Since God loves us so much that He gives us a roadmap called the Bible as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And He also gives us the person of the Holy Spirit to keep us on track when the light doesn't, you don't seem to be walking in that light, right? The Holy Spirit travels, goes anywhere. So now a little bit about King David. Again, hopefully you guys know most of this stuff, but repetition is the father of learning. So you're going to hear a lot of repetitive stuff. So just put it in your mind, hear it, meditate on it. So I'm not sure if you guys know this, but there's actually more written about King David than any other character in the Bible other than Jesus. Hmm. I wonder why, right? Wonder why. But King David was a shepherd boy. And he says later in uh, 1 Samuel 17, he talks about How when no one was looking, he was keeping the sheep. He killed a lion and a bear from getting the sheep, right? So David was a shepherd boy, and I believe he's a type of Christ, a deliverer, a king, and Jesus comes from David's bloodline, right? And so there are a lot of figures in the Old Testament that are, we would say, Christophanes or types of Christ in their character and how God uses them. You know, Joseph, Moses, uh, you know, there's a lot of different characters. So just putting that out there for you. David, mostly known for in a positive light, killing Goliath, right? One of Israel's greatest kings, committed a murder and adultery. Remember that. His family was very broken; children were very rebellious, but he wanted to build God a house, and he was responsible for writing over seventy of the Psalms, and was a father to Solomon. And what we kind of know him for most is he was known to be a man after God's own heart. Hmm. He was known to be a man after God's own heart, which is why I titled the message, A Man After God's Own Heart. So really quick, as quick as I can, when I hear that, after God's own heart, a man or woman after God's own heart, what does it mean, right? What exactly does that mean? Because if if we look at, if we survey David's life, there were some pretty heinous things in there that none of us in this room have done, right? Right? And yet and still, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. How in the world is that possible? Well, first and foremost, a man, someone in our day who's after God's own heart, first of all, you have to be born again, right? The Bible says born from above. You have to be a follower of Jesus because without the Holy Spirit, you won't seek after God, right? So you have to have a heart of repentance, okay? Now, repentance, don't be afraid of that word. It's a good word, all right, okay? Okay. Repentance simply means a change of direction, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. an the example I like to use for repentance is if you're getting on a plane in LA and you're going to New York, you first leave LA right That is repentance you're, you're leaving LA and you're turning to New York. Does that make sense? So I'm leaving my sin bye bye, right? I'm leaving my sin and then I'm going towards Christ placing my faith and trust in Christ. that is faith repentance and faith, okay but After God's own heart, it's not about perfection. Who in here is perfect? Cool, amen, you guys. I know it's late. Some of your arms are tired, right? You're like, "Uh, uh, uh, keep it down, no, right? Nobody's perfect, okay, except Jesus. So someone after God's own heart, it can't be somebody who's perfect, right? So I like to say this. It's not about perfection, but direction, okay? It's about when you sin, what direction do you go? What direction are you progressively going in? So it's almost like a person on a path here and then they trip and fall. Do they get up and say, I quit? And then they go back to the starting line and kind of just chill and hang out? Or do they get up and they say, you know, I'm still gonna keep pursuing that direction. I fell down, somebody came on the path, knocked me off. Or I chose to go off path, knocked me off. But I I still keep coming to get back on the path and then go in the direction towards God. That is what it means to be after God. God's own heart. This is why I believe David, some of the most heinous sins recorded in Scripture, is still considered that because, have you guys read the Psalms? Right? Here's a couple from King David. Psalm 119, 98 says this, Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation day and night, King David. 1914, may the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, King David. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, right? And then he goes in and says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And does he meditate day and night, King David. And lastly, Psalm 27, 8, and he has a lot. But he says, when you you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, Lord, will I seek, King David. And then, of course, we can go on and on about Psalm 51, right? Against you and only you have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That is King David. You do not see perfection, but what you see is direction. Is a man that after he has failed over and over, who's constantly pursuing God, That is what it means to be a man or woman after God's own heart. And so a question to you guys, I'm going to ask a lot of questions tonight, make sure you're awake, okay, is does that sound like you, right? In our lives and everything that we go through, does that sound like you? If it doesn't, is maybe some things need to change tonight, right? Um, Maybe we need to just pursue God, right, and flee after him. The Bible says, unless one is born again from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Saints, if you're not born again, we need a new heart that results in a new emotions, will, intellect, and desires. And so oftentimes people ask, well, I don't know. How did I do that? Well, the Bible makes it very simple. Jesus did the work, right? It is finished. And so all it says for us is that we just need to agree with that, confess, uh, Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth, you agree that Jesus Christ is Lord, And that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, right? So you're coming into agreement with what Christ did for you individually. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and this is the result. And this is where I believe we, um, as a church and as believers, uh, we falter a bit on saying, hey, yeah, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus, right? There's a result, and this is the result new desires, new direction, and new affections, okay? I'll say that again. New desires, new direction. Remember, I'm saying bye-bye, right? I'm going this way, okay? And then new affections, the things that I once used to love that despised God, I now hate, right? And it may not be right away. It, it may, it's progressive sometimes. Some people, it's immediate. Others, it's like a slow progressional movement. But remember, direction, it's still going that way, right? And even when you become born again, sometimes we, we, we get like stagnant in our, in our progression, right? Our sanctification but always the Holy Spirit is urging you closer. The Bible says to seek holiness, right? Pursue holiness, for without no man will see the Lord, right? So that's what the result is. So I'm praying, again, that that would be you and I. All right, shortly into that line, I know it was a lot, but this is how we stay on point, okay? I'm going to briefly go over that one. So point number one, after God's own heart, direction, not perfection. A lot of times in our life, fear can be a hindrance, okay? How many of you in here... Have dealt with fear. I could take all your hands and all that, right? Okay, some people said fear is false evidence appearing real, right? And that may be true. And they did a study and they talked about the things that people fear and, and, and how it impacts people. And what they found out is that 80% of the things that people fear never even happen. Never even happen. I think it's gonna, and then we just drive ourselves crazy and then it doesn't happen. So fear is almost like I'm being impacted by what maybe possibly potentially might happen, right? And so I'm gonna gonna put my obedience to God on hold and, and, and wait this out a little bit, right? On something that maybe potentially might happen or not, right? And so after God's own heart, it's about our direction, not perfection. And we'll see in the text that Samuel and the elders were afraid. They were fearful. God gave them a command, and then they were fearful, and God had to urge and nudge them a little bit to get them to go. Um, A question I ask is, how how does fear in our lives hinder our obedience to God? I was told once that uh, delayed obedience is disobedience, right? I I, I obeyed God. I know you asked me last year, though, Right? (laughs) I asked you that a year ago, opportunity's gone, right? <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience, right? The definition of obedience is doing what God asked you to do when you're asked to do it with the right attitude, right? Some of us, all right, God, I'll do it, I guess. If Dang it, you know, right? That's not obedience, okay? He wants it with a smile, obedience, joyful obedience, like Jesus, when it said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's a perfect example. Now, I'm not saying I would do that, but I'm just just saying Jesus, the perfect example, he did it, right? And remember, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. How do we respond when we fall? We run to the Lord, or do we run from him and quit and give up, right? How is the direction in our lives? Which way is it going? This quote by Charles Spurgeon said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all fears away. So what that means is if I fear God, I have nothing else to fear, right? If I fear a man, I got a lot of other things to fear. I'm going to have to fear God badly in the wrong way, okay? I'd rather God be for me, not against me. What about you, right? I want to be on his side, right? I want to be in his family. And we can be, and most of us are, by the grace of God, amen? Point number two, heart test over eye test. Now, where did I get that from? Here's where I got it from. I'm not going to date myself, but when I played college football, what would happen is, In the athletic world, here's what happened. The athletes step on the scene. We don't need to hear from them. I don't need to hear what they have to say. Don't care. Right? I just need to look at them. Okay. And you know what they'd say? They look, the culture comes, they look. Up and down. He passed the eye test. Why? Because he was strong. He was big. They would look at him and see him up and down and look at their physical appearance. And they do that today in the NFL when they do combines. The scouts are gonna look, they'll be like, Oh yeah, he passed the eye test. Right? So we'll look at him a little bit further. But a lot of athletes, there's Hall of Famers, did not pass the eye test at all. Like, you play football? You, wow, okay. You know, right? They didn't pass the eye test. Well, the thing is, is that God doesn't care about the eye test, okay? It doesn't matter to him. Doesn't care about your stature, doesn't care about how much makeup you wear, doesn't care about how big your muscles are, how much you could bench, press, and squat. Like, that stuff doesn't matter at all to him, right? Because here's what's going to happen. When you stand before him, it's going to melt away like hot wax, it doesn't even matter, but God is not concerned about earthly accolades, what we look like to men, how many achievements we have, or who's impressed with us, right? No amount of fame, social media, clout, money possess- none of that stuff matters, right? God is concerned about our heart posture, right? God is concerned about the one who says, "Be merciful to me, a sinner." right God is concerned about the one that trembles at His word like in Isaiah. He says, this is the one I will look upon, the one who fears me and trembles at my word. That is the one who God is looking for. Remember, he's looking for hearts that are desperate, broken, and humble for him. And saints, God sees you when you're broken, when you're hurt, when you're in despair. God sees you when no one else does. And God sees your heart posture towards him. And we'll see King David, he was out there keeping the sheep. When no one even cared, they, when they brought out all these men, which we are going to see, they brought out all the sons, they looked at him, no, 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 no. You got, you got somebody else? Like, yeah, damn, he's, he's with the sheep. You don't want him, do you? You're really going to make me go get him? Like, are you serious right now? Right? So when no one else saw no one else cared, God saw David and he saw his heart. And so God sees you. When you think that you're going through something and no one cares and no one sees, God does see. And he sees your heart posture up over him. And I want to encourage you that no tears in vain. The Bible says he keeps our tears in a bottle, right? Every single one of them. Think about that. Every tear you've ever cried over all the pain you've ever gone through, he has them in a bottle. It's never in vain. There's nothing that God can't see and there's nothing that God can't mend. And so I find great comfort in that. Hopefully, you do too. Amen. All right, now we're going to get to the text. Praise God. We're all caught up, Right? Checked all the media streams, checked all the boxes, and all cut up. Now, let me get to that there in my Bible. All right, here we go. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll only do 13 verses today. And here's what it reads, first point of after God's own heart. Direction, not perfection. Verse 1, he says this. Now, the Lord said to Samuel... How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So just a few verses earlier, just to get context. So in chapter 15, 35, it says this, and Samuel went no more to see Saul. He basically hacked up Agag. We'll go into that a little later. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so if you imagine uh, Samuel, he, he, he's the one who anointed Saul as king. And so if you can imagine, he thought, okay, this is gonna be our guy. This is gonna be the guy that God uses to, to redeem Israel, make him a mighty nation. And this is our guy. remember, Saul started off very humble, very humble and obedient. Remember he was hiding? Very humble and obedient. So so Samuel has a relationship with Saul, right? He honors Saul. And he wants to see Saul do well. And so the the reality that Saul, uh, after successes, got very, very prideful and became disobedient to God, and now he's been removed. He wasn't physically removed at that point, but the anointing was gone. And Saul, and Samuel sees this, and he's mourning over this, so much to the point that it's hindering him from seeing God's will and purpose, right? And so we know, we know, at the end of the day, guys, look, Samuel wasn't dead then, but he was mourning over what happened. The Bible does say there is a time to mourn, right? Whether it's over a death, whether it's over a circumstance in our life, whether its so there is a time to mourn. But there's also a time to move on, right? And it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, it doesn't mean. It doesn't bother you, right? There, there is a time. And for something like this, I believe Samuel was stuck mourning. And, and like, oh, what are we going to do? Remember, head and shoulders above the rest, right? We can't find another seven-footer, right? Where are we going to find another seven-footer? Where are we going to find one who's more beautiful than the women, right? Where, where are we going to find a mighty man like King Saul? Where are we going to find this guy? And so if you can imagine, he's now mourning like... Lord, what are we going to do? Right? He forgotten it's almost to a sense. Again, I don't want to speak into the science of scripture, but I'm going to say I'm going to give my opinion, right? It's almost as if Samuel saw Saul as their true leader and he forgot God was their true leader. Because if he saw God as his true leader, okay, Lord, what do you have next for us? Right? Okay, Lord. Praying for Saul, I'm praying for him, but who do you what do you want me to do next, right? Here I am, Lord. Where do you want me to go? Right? And sometimes in our own lives, we can do the same thing. We can, we can elevate people. And, and all of us have done it. We can elevate people, and in doing so, who do you de-elevate? God. And we don't mean to, right? We don't, I don't think we intentionally say, you know what, God? I think this guy's where you're at. So I think we're going to level the playing field. Like, we don't intentionally do that. But I think naturally, we end up doing that when we elevate a person to a particular status. And so I remember... Um, like, in this season of my life, there's just a lot of um, families that, that my wife and I are counseling and a lot of broken marriages, and, and, and it's a blessing, but it's also a burden because it hurts to, to see this. And I had one, one couple where, where the wife literally um, was afraid to address her husband. Like, he's Pharaoh. Like, what, how can I go to him? I can't, I can't tell him anything. How, how can I, what am I supposed to do? What if I tell him? What if he tells me this? I'm mean, like, what did God call you to do? Oh, I totally didn't even think about that. The fear of man, she was so afraid of her husband. And the culture that they were raised up in is that, no, you don't go to the man like that. You can't tell the man anything. But what does God say? Have we forgotten that the word is sufficient? Have we forgotten that he is the Almighty? That he holds everything in the span of his hand, That he put the stars in the sky and he knows them by name and all of our hairs have a number to them and he knows them, we don't, right? We can't forget the character of the Almighty right? And so as Samuel is now having to go on to the next quest for Israel, he's mourning over what has happened to Saul, that God has rejected the seven-footer, right? God's rejected him, and he's mourning over it. And, and so the Lord tells Samuel, like, how long are you going to do this? 40 days? 20 days? 80 days? Like, he's not Joseph, right? Like, he's not, he's not Moses. Like, what, what are you doing? And he tells him, I've rejected him. Like, there's no more hope. It's done. Okay? He had his opportunity. And now it's time for us to move forward. And so he says, fill your horn with oil. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I had provided myself a king among his sons. And so first one was, okay, you guys want a king? I'm going to give him one after your own heart. We'll see how that goes. Right? We'll see how that goes. We always know how that goes if we just read scripture, right? And then look at our lives and the lives of others around us. Didn't go well. And so God says, now I'm going to give you the king that I had from the jump. And he's one of Jesse's sons, the Bethlehemite, right? And so, saints, I believe God will never allow his work to die with the death or failure of a man. And that was Saul. And so God just wasn't going to stop there. It's okay, I'm done. Have at it. He says, no, no, no. I want to make things right. And I look at that with Adam, right? Started well, Adam. Walking with God in the cool of the day. You say what you want to say. Adam was perfect for a season, okay? None of us had that. Adam and Eve were perfect for a season, right? And then Adam failed. But it didn't stop there, did it? It's not where it stopped. There was a rescue plan initiated in so much as Jesus is called the second Adam. And so that where Adam, the first Adam, failed, the second Adam, Jesus, prevailed, right? Amen? And so God will never let his work stop or die at the death of a man or failure, right? Because God never fails, amen? Men and women fail, but God never fails. And so verse 2, he says this, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. He'll kill me. Oh, right? The cowardly lion, okay? Wizard of Oz, for old schoolers, okay? Saul was, Samuel was petrified at Saul, the seven-footer, petrified, insomuch that God gave him a command and he questioned God. Have we forgotten? Remember, this is the same God. Remember, this is the reputation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one that delivered them out of Exodus, right? Delivered them out of Egypt. Out of Pharaoh's hand, right? The mighty king Pharaoh. That's the God that delivered out of the mighty Pharaoh's hand, and that was God's reputation before His people. That's what He always refers to. So, I'm the God that delivered you out of Egypt. Samuel forgot already. He said, "What Saul will he'll kill me, right, Lord? He'll kill me." And so, what it is—the fear of man, right? It becomes a snare to us and to our obedience, right? Oftentimes, God will call us to do things but if we're afraid, we what? Question, right? We question. No, I'll be honest. When I was called to come and be the campus pastor here, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I think I know your will, God. I don't think that's your will. I think that's a hindrance, right? I'm just going to walk right around that, okay? It's on the path, but I'm going to walk around it, and I'm not going to do it, right? But I knew I had to at least pray. But I was scared. I was like, I have a good job. No a good job. I'm comfortable. It's right by my house, and it was good work. I was working with at risk youth. I've been doing it for 13 years. It was phenomenal, right? So for me, that didn't make sense. Why would you call me from this, which is fruitful, right? Provide for my family, right? To something that's way less. I don't even know if it's gonna work. Like, why would I do that? It didn't make sense, right? So because of my fear and, and like doubt, like I probably shouldn't, it hindered me a little bit, right? I knew I at least had to pray. I remember telling my wife, I'm gonna pray, but we're not, we're not doing it, right? Isn't that counterintuitive? I'm going to pray, but the answer is, I'm, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to obey, right? Why pray? Amen? If my mind's already made up, I'm not going to do it Why pray, right? Well, little did I know. I prayed. God softened my heart. He kept putting the signs in front of me, and you know, we're on year two, and God has done amazing, amazing things here, right? And continues to do that as we partner with him and meet here on Hillcrest. God has just continued to do amazing, amazing things. But saints, don't let the fear of man hinder you from being obedient to what God has called you to do. Right? Don't follow that example. If that's something in your life right now that you're afraid of, you don't need to be afraid. The Bible says fear not or don't be afraid over 366 times. Right? So if God is saying something over and over, he's not a broken record, right? He's he's not like he's not a glitch in the system. Okay? It's not the matrix. This is the word of God. God knows what he's doing, okay? He knows what he's doing. But he tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. I am the Lord. I go before you, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Be bold. Be courageous. Why? Because I, the Lord, your God, I go before you. So anything God calls you to do, you're not alone. And I believe we should adopt the attitude of Moses. Lord, matter of fact, if you don't go, I ain't going, right? Unless your presence goes with me. I stay right here, right? So I think it goes both ways. I don't want to go anywhere where the Lord is not, and I don't want to go anywhere where the Lord has not called me to go. Does that make sense, right? So we look at Samuel, a mighty man of God, had a moment of fear, and he says that he will kill me. And the Lord spoke to Samuel, still in verse 2. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord Verse 3, then, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name you. This is the one that the Lord chooses, which is ultimately David, and then essentially it's Jesus. The Bible says over and over, the man that I have appointed, the man that I have appointed. That one day you're going to stand before the man that I have appointed, right? Right? And that's why when all these false prophets rise up and say that they're the one, when all the old ones of history have said they are the one and God has not said it, we don't believe it, right? And that's why the Bible gives us strict instructions on how to judge whether someone is a prophet of God is if their word comes true, right? And he says, if their word does not come true, I have not spoken to them, do not fear them, right? God does speak through people. But the one God has ultimately chosen is Jesus, right? Jesus is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the highest name, right? So if you're trying to make a name for yourself, just give up, right? There's no name higher than Christ. Jesus is the only way truth in life, right? The Bible makes it clear the one man that God has appointed and God has chosen. And Paul says that God will judge under my gospel, which he preached was Jesus, right, Romans 2. And so he says, the one that I choose, which is David, I like to say where man fails, God prevails. And so I kind of look at, you know, what, what happened here. You know, when we look at the text, is that he's giving them the instructions because they're going to they're gonna celebrate, they're going to sacrifice, and then they're going to choose and celebrate who this, this, new, this new king is, Right. And so he tells him, fill his oil, still in verse, wait, why did that look different? Hold on. Sorry. I think it looked different on my computer. Bear with me. So verse two, okay. No, he says, it'll kill me, right? Then he tells them, the one, I, the one I name after you, and then we go into verse four. There you go. Sorry. It wasn't on my screen. But I got the text, and I got my screen, because if electronics fail me, this will help me. Amen, right? So verse four, he says, so, so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And so Samuel did what the Lord asked and he went to Bethlehem. So old little town of Bethlehem. You guys remember, Bethlehem was a very, very special place, right? Bethlehem means house of bread. If you guys remember, house of bread. Bethlehem was ultimately... The town of David, but really where Jesus was born, right? Very, very important town. That's where the book of Ruth, right? A lot of Ruth takes place there. And there's a lot of prophetic things that go on in Bethlehem, and this is one of them. King David's anointed there, and King Jesus is born there. Right? There's so m- I mean I can go on and on about the similarities, right? And what God is ultimately pointing to. And so he tells them, Go to Bethlehem, and he went. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? Okay, so now first, <clears throat> let's process this. First, Samuel's afraid of Saul, petrified, okay? Understandably, all right? Probably, I believe you saw him hack up Agag and was like, yo, this, this guy, for real, right? I'm not trying to get hacked up, okay? And then now Samuel comes to Bethlehem and the elders are afraid of Samuel. What happened, right? No, I'm sorry, Saul didn't hack up Agag. Samuel hacked up Agag. So I think the elders are looking like Samuel, like, is everything good? Like, like, are we good? Like, what's going on? Like why, like, why are you here? No one told us you were coming. Like, why, what's going on? Like, you're not going to, you don't have a knife on you, do you? Like, put the sword away, right? Everything. Can we check you real quick, right? <laughs> type of thing. You wonder, but it says that they trembled at Samuel's coming. And again, it doesn't say why. So I'm not, I'm just giving my opinion. Like, I don't know why I'm just guessing that if the, rep, if the word got around that Saul failed to hack up Agad right? The king of Agag, which some would say was a picture of the flesh. And then Samuel comes and said, I got this. And he just sliced them up, hacked them all up, which we, we, we look at that and we say, look, I like to tell people, look, either, either deal or get dealt with, right? Either you deal with your flesh or your flesh deals with you. You, you, you guys can't co- coexist together, right? You, you, you have to deal with your flesh. You have to put flesh to death daily, right? And we see those themes all throughout scripture. But they, Samuel comes and then the elders are trembling, and they ask him, like, do you come peaceably? You're not coming to make war with us, right? Like, we didn't do anything we don't know of, right? And he said, do you come peaceably? And here's what they say. Verse 5, he says this, and he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to go over the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, but whenever they would make a sacrifice, they would purify themselves or consecrate themselves to present before the Lord because I think one of the attributes that we forget about the Lord is He's holy. Holy, holy, right? That means He's completely separate. There's no one like Him. None of His attributes are comparable, right? He is in a class all by himself, and in order to come before him, right, you have to make provisions. You have to get yourself ready. You have to consecrate yourself, right, to stand before the holy righteous God. But what I love about that entire picture is God wants to dwell among us, right? You look through the Old Testament, God wants to dwell among his people. God wants us to be in his presence. God wants to have relationship with us, right? Right? But because of sin, he had to make provision for us to be able to even offer a sacrifice to him, right? And there's a whole bunch of different sacrifices, like I said, which I'm, I'm not going to go into. So he tells him, sanctify yourself, set yourself apart for holy use, and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, the consecration, it really means to make yourself ready, to prepare yourself in the Old Testament, sometimes they would, it would be a washing of the clothes, some type of washing of the hands, them not touching unleavened bread. There was a lot of different things that went into them consecrating themselves. Now, praise God, we don't have to do that. Amen? Like, every time I go before the Lord and pray, I got to wash my hands, make sure my no lint on my clothes, make sure my clothes are ironed. Like, that's too much. That's too much, right? God has made the ultimate provision, right, for us to be in his presence. The veil has been torn we can go in, we can enter in anytime, place. But I do think there are some practical applications to consecrate ourselves. And here's some of those that I think. When you prepare to go to church on Sunday or on Thursdays, right? For us, we prepare Saturday night, right? We say, you know what? You're not staying up late. You're not gonna be consumed with all things that will take your mind off of God. We're gonna prepare for worship service Saturday night, okay? Now Thursday, we had to work today, different story. I'm still preparing my mind I wasn't prepared for this because I didn't know, but, okay, there's grace there, um, but when we prepare to come to church, we want to consecrate ourselves. I want to clear my mind. I want to read ahead if I know what the text is, right? Usually you do. I want to put away all distractions. I don't want to be scores, you know, church in 10 minutes. Instead of looking at the text, reading ahead, I'm doing this. Okay, worship music starts. Okay, not yet. That's not consecrating yourself, Okay. Now, I'm not condemning anyone. I'm just saying I do believe it's important to make ourselves ready to enter the presence of the Lord, to worship, to pray. I do believe there's some practical applications that would help us get more from our worship service, right? I do believe that, okay? Okay, that's some free bread right there, amen? Free bread, God God is good, right? So then he, uh, they end there, he invites them to to the sacrifice, Right? So, uh, summary of uh, point number one. After God's own heart, it's not about being perfect, even though we should strive for holiness, okay? Even though every day I want to strive to be more and more like Jesus, I understand I'm not going to arrive in this lifetime, okay? Now, does that mean I just kick back? Should I say in that grace, may I bow? No, certainly not, okay? But it means that I want to strive to be more and more like Christ in that direction. And so I want that when people look at me they would say, that is a man or a woman, that is a boy or a girl, right? We know the distinction, right? Man, woman, boy, girl, Good. amen. Um, never know, right? So that is someone who is going after the direction of God. That if, if I was blind and I just put my hand on their shoulder, that I can trust that they're gonna lead me in the direction of where God is going, right? That if they, just, they can watch my life and then they can follow because they know that I'm following Jesus, right? Does that make sense? And we shouldn't let fear... Or anything else, hinder our obedience to God. Delayed obedience, disobedience, right? Obedience is when God asked, with the right attitude, right? With the right understanding. Amen. And when we respond how we fall, like we should run to the Lord. It's it's one of those things where, um, I I forgot where I saw it, but I talked about like when a little kid gets in trouble. It's not, oh no, my dad's gonna find out. It's oh no, where's my dad? Right? it's a difference. I'm not so petrified that, oh no, he's going to destroy me, but no, I I can hop in his lap. I can confess my wrong, right? And I know that he's going to help me to do better. There's a difference in perspective of when I'm going in that direction and I fall, I know that God is gracious. The Bible says that we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that is someone who goes towards him, not the one who goes away from him. So there is a difference, right? And of course, the fear of man is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all the fears away. Saints, we just need to fear God. That's it, okay? And that's a healthy fear, okay? That's a healthy fear like if I'm on the top of the Empire State Building, right? What's going to keep me from jumping? Fear. That's good. That's good fear, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, my friends. That is good fear is that I look down, yeah, yeah, I'm afraid that that would destroy me. Okay? I'm afraid, Lord God, that I will disappoint you, that I'll put a frown on your face. So that is my fear. That's the fear of God. Okay? The Bible tells us that the fear of God, by the fear of God, we depart from evil. Okay? That's healthy, and that's good. Amen? All right. point number two. Heart test over eye test. Saints, God looks at the heart, not outward appearance. Verse six says this. So it was, when they came, that he looked at Eliab, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He's the one. Give me the crown. Let's put it on him. Ding, ding, ding. We're done. We don't even need to bring the other people in here. That is the guy. Now, again, I'm just observation, just kind of thinking of some things. So if Samuel was really impressed with Saul, okay, really impressed, to the point where he was devastated that Saul wasn't the guy anymore, Um, and he sees this guy, Eliab which is Jesse's oldest son. I'm guessing, I think it is, his oldest son. I'm guessing he's a pretty big guy. guess he's pretty stature. I guess he's pretty strong. Been in the weight room, done a few squats, right? A few bicep curls, maybe, okay? And, and so Samuel sees him without even consulting with the Lord. Lord, is this your guy, right? Is this him? He says, oh, that's him. That's the man, right? That is him. So we're, we're looking. He is automatically looking on outward appearance. Automatically. Look at an outward appearance. And let's be honest, right? We do the same thing. We do. We do the same thing. Typically, we see it, and if it looks good to us, we're like, it has to be good, right? That is folly, ladies and gentlemen. That's folly. Oftentimes, I'm telling young men and young women, don't just go after the looks. Because guess what? For a young man and a young woman, her looks will not raise godly children. Heart will, okay? For young women and young ladies, their muscles will not teach men how to be godly, okay? So muscles are good, they do fade. Look at our former governor, Schwarzenegger, right, amen. So <laughs> the muscles fade. They don't always stay there. The beauty fades. The Bible tells us that charm is deceitful, beauty is fading, but a woman that fears the Lord is wanting to be honored, right? But we can get caught up in looking at these outward things and some of the most dis- most important Decisions that we make in our lives, such as marriage, right? Some of us will make a marital decision solely based off of how they look, right? And I'm not saying that they don't need to be attracted to you because they do. My wife is the beautiful woman in the world. I'm blessed. Amen. Right? But at the same time, my wife's looks don't raise our kids. You know, it's the inner beauty of the heart, right? It's the fear of the Lord, it's the mind that loves and serves Jesus more than anything. That raises godly children, right? And my muscles I used to have when I played football, they don't do much in raising my kids, right? Now, it can help me, can help me hold up my little man, right? And, and he needs to know that, that I'm the alpha line, he's not, right? But ultimately, if I don't convince him when he's young, the muscles won't help me when he's older, okay? He has to be convinced when he's young that I'm the man of the house, right? But we can't get caught up in this, this whole looks thing because look when we look at the scripture, the text, Samuel immediately did not confer with God. Did it say, look, Lord, I got Eliab, what do you think? Is that what it said? Mm-mm. But a man, he said, surely. That means you're sure. So you're saying, God, you, must have, you have to agree with this. Surely, this is the man. That's the guy, crown him. These other guys, they're going to watch the show type of thing, right? And I think in our own lives, we can do the same thing and crown situations, circumstances, and people without even consulting with the Lord because they look, feel, and taste good, right? How many of you would hear your senses have lied to you? Yeah, let's be honest. I'll be honest, I've smelled some things that that smelled good and then I come to taste it. I was like, how did that happen? It smelled really good, how did that happen, right? And then I come across things that looked really good, right? Whether it was possessions, whether it was opportunities, whether it was a circumstance, and I didn't consult with the Lord, and there we have it. It never turns out well. It never turns out well. So in verse 6, he finishes, he says, Surely the Lord anointed anointed is before him. And so he's basically speaking for the Lord. Don't do that. And here's verse 7. Here's what he said. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen? So saints, it's not the eye test. It's the heart test. Where's your heart before the Lord? Why do you do the things you do when you do the things you do? What's truly behind it? This verse tells us exactly what Samuel was looking at, his appearance and his physical stature. I'm looking for a man who can physically and fleshly rule. I'm looking for an opportunity that will feed my physical stature and my fleshly desires. Do you know that the whole world is looking to feed something, right? The whole world is thirsty. And Jesus said... You keep drinking from that well, and you're going to thirst again. You keep drinking from what you see and what you smell and what you think is right. It will never satisfy you. Some of the most wealthiest, more affluent, famous names in all of history died miserable, empty, depressed, right? And what I find interesting is that the thirst and the depravity shows no partiality. You can go all across the world, every state, every country, every city, and the issues are the same. The emptiness is the same. The brokenness is the same. The marriages, the relationships, the families, the issues are the same. They are all looking to fill a hole. All of them. They may look different in some ways, but ultimately, no matter where we go, saints, they're all looking to fill the hole that only Jesus Christ can fill. And they're using all types of things and money and fame and social media, clicks, likes, hearts, comments, Instagram, fake book, be fake, all those apps, right? All those apps. And none of them are real, right? They're not role models, they're models playing a role. You see them for a short period of time and all their filters, right? That stuff is not real. We're looking for something that's real and tangible. We're looking for something that we can touch and connect with. And Jesus and God has been there the whole time. When I think of paintings and and people who create things like, when you look at a painting, the painter wants to be known, right? That's why they put their signature at the bottom. A A painting reflects the characteristics of a painter, right? So does creation reflect the characteristics of our creator. God wants us to know him, right? And he has put everything here for us to look and seek him in creation, conscience, in the gospel. Is that you can't go anywhere where a sign of God is not present. For the blind man, they have their mind, the conscience, right? The one who can't see, they have their ears, they can hear all the physical, the wind, all those things, right? You can't escape it, right? And for the one who's super, super intellectual, the foolishness of the gospel will get you eventually, right? God said he uses the foolish things of, of the world to confound the wise, the things that nobody expects. But this whole thing is this issue of we're looking for things that will make us feel good, right? And then it's there and it goes away. It's a Band-Aid. I tell you it was a Band-Aid to a bullet wound. We need true transformation and that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now we have this situation here Where there's an anointing of someone that God has chosen, and the prophet that God has ordained is caught looking at physical stature and outward appearance. And God makes it very clear, I don't look look at that. I don't care what worldly accolades you have. That doesn't impress me or woo me at all, right? That doesn't make me do a second look. That doesn't make me break my neck to look towards you, because I pierce right through all of that into the depths of your heart, right? Right? When the Bible says that the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart and nothing, no one, anything, is neck, everything is naked before him to the one who must give an account, right? That's the Lord. He pierces through all that armor, right? And on the flip side, he sees all your trauma, all your pain, all your heartache, and everything you've been through and going through. And he has his hands open wide for you, right? You don't have to go through that pain alone. God cares. God knows you're not by yourself, right? Both of those are true. And he says that he's the God of all comfort and that he comforts us in all of our time of affliction. He will not leave us comfortless. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have all this confirmation from the Lord, is that although we live in a broken world, is that the Lord is one day going to restore everything, right? That is the hope that we have that won't fade away. See, the appearance, outward appearance, I tell you, that's the glory that fades away. That's the corruptible crown, right? Nobody wants to labor for something that will burn in a fire, right? Nobody wants to labor for something that's going to disappear. We want something that's going to last forever. And that's our relationship with the Lord. That's the people you see in this room and you care about. They're the people that we're going to see in heaven, right? And if they're not saved, our heart should burn for a desire to pull them from the fire, right? Because God cares. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have sent his son to die. Guess what? When God sent his son, he wasn't looking at outward appearance, was he? Because none of us were worthy. He says in Romans 5, that scarcely one die for a righteous man, for a good man would one even dare to die but God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, right? Pierce right through those accolades. Pierce right through the self-righteousness and look at me and say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So saints, God does not see the way we see. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are not like ours. And yet he sees perfectly right through the depths of our soul And so you can imagine, verse 7, when he tells Samuel, don't look at his appearance or don't look at his physical stature because I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way man sees. Samuel's probably like broken, like, so maybe the next tallest one, right? (laughs) So it wasn't him, so is it the next one maybe? Like Samuel probably still doesn't get it, right? But here's the verse. says. So verse 8, here's what he says. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So if you can imagine, he's lining them up, right? Jesse's coming and you imagine Jesse is the father like, "Yo, oh, I got all my sons, proud parent, right? One of my sons is gonna be king. This is awesome. This is what I've been laboring for. This is what I've been praying for. Imagine that, like really imagine. I know some of you aren't parents, right? But imagine those of you who are parents. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than hearing my children walk in truth, right? That's, that's the most satisfying thing you can have for your children, is that they serve the Lord. And even more to be in a position where the Lord has chosen them and exalted them. And so you can imagine Jesse is like, this is awesome. Okay, he wasn't one, but I know it's going to be one of them, right? It's going to be one of them. He was at least considered, this is awesome. And so you can imagine he's lining them up. Nope, not that one. Okay, He's strong. Not as strong as that one, but he's still strong. Lines him up. Nope, not that one. And so you can imagine he's probably now sweating a little bit. We're getting down to the wire, and uh, he's not choosing any of these. Did he make a mistake? Right? Did, did he mess up? I mean, what's going on? He's, he's not choosing any of my sons. And so he passed it before him, and then verse 10 says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and then Samuel, then Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Don't, don't, don't. Oh boy. You can imagine, Do you think Jesse's maybe thinking of David? I don't think so. I think right now he's pulling his hair out, right? What, what, I got all excited for nothing. Why did we do the sacrifice? What was this for? Are you playing with me? What's going on? You're not gonna choose any of my sons? None of them? These, are, these guys are handsome, they're strong, I worked them out. Three of them were part of Saul's army. These guys are warriors. What is wrong with you? No, let's do it again. You can back, let's do it again. Line them back up. Come on, you made a mistake. Let's do it again, right? Come on, please. But that's not what happened. So the text says this, verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, yeah, keeping the sheep. Right, so you can imagine this. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, right. I mean, there's a, a young guy, but I mean, he's keeping the sheep. You don't want him, right? Now he didn't say that, but I can imagine him after going through all of his sons who warriors, right, strong men. You can imagine him saying, you know what? There's one, there's, and he's probably hoping yes, David. But you don't want—he's a sheepkeeper. You don't want him, right? Let's can we light him up again one more time, please? please, please, pretty please, right? And so he's telling him. There has to be another one because God has not confirmed any of these guys. You got to have one more. And so then he talks about the youngest where he is keeping the sheep. Now, a shepherd is by himself keeping all the sheep. The shepherd is one of the lowest of the lowest, right? And the shepherd boy, David, was out there being faithful to God when no one was watching, okay? Okay. He wasn't putting on a show. He wasn't doing it so people could see him. He wasn't going and showing, look how faithful I am to God, look at me, look at me. This man's heart was already committed to God before anyone ever even thought about him. When he was by himself, when he was going through loneliness, I bet. When he was going through being rejected, I'm not part of the army, I'm not with my brothers, I'm not like them, right? Some of us go through that now, I'm not like so-and-so. You guys start comparing yourself to other people, don't do that, comparison kills, right? God made us, all of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. So unique, fingerprint, no two alike, so unique. God's creation made in his image, his special prized possession, his children. God has a special place in his family for every single one of you, right? I don't need to look to my left and compare. I don't need to look to my right and compare, right? I'm confident in who I am in the Lord. Praise God he gives gifts to everybody. Awesome. Use your gift and I'll use my gift. And when we do that, we'll complete one another, not compete against one another. Amen? And so you can imagine, David may be thinking like through all those things, God said, it's okay. This man's been faithful when nobody was watching. He passed the heart test. The eye test doesn't matter with God. It matters with man, but it doesn't matter with God. And so you have to ask yourself, am I doing this to please man? Why am I doing this to please God? Paul would say, if you're doing it to please man, you can't be a servant of Christ. So you got to choose. Choose this day who you're going to serve, right? And so he says, the young shepherd guy, right? My youngest. There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. So he says straight up, look, if you have You have to imagine, he probably had some hesitation. Send and bring him. If he has to say, I'm not going to eat, we're not doing anything until you bring him, he must have saw the countenance of Jesse. You you don't want to go get him, do you? Right? You don't want to go get him, do you? We're not doing anything. We're not moving forward. We're not eating. We're not doing sacrifices. We're not completing this ordeal until you go get that shepherd boy. Go get him. Right? And then verse 12 tells us this. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready, with bright eyes and good looking. But he didn't say anything about his stature. Okay? And the Lord said, Notice who said it: the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. I love that. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So here's what had happened. We passed through all the physical appearances, passed through all the people, and all that whole time, many were doing the eye test. All those guys passed the eye test, clearly, right? Had to be him, it gotta be him, it gotta be him, it gotta be him, him, right? But the one who passed the heart test was not the one who was there being shown in front of everybody but the one who was being faithful to God privately when no one was looking. And so, saints, what often happens is what we are privately is what we are publicly eventually. Does that make sense? Who you are privately is who you will be publicly eventually. It's just a matter of time. And so I like to tell people, if you're genuine, if you're genuine, time is your best friend, right? Because time is going to prove your true heart condition before God and people. But if you're a fraud, if you're fraudulent, if you're a Pharisee, right, time is just going to prove how fake and fraudulent you truly are, right? And the Bible says that what's done in the dark will always be exposed by the light, right? And that's why we want to live and want to dwell in the light. And so the light has shown, and God brings his anointed, the man after his own heart, little David, the ruddy guy, didn't talk about his stature, praise God, right? The ruddy guy who looked good, and he put him, and then what he did was he anointed him, in the eyes of all the people. And so what he was saying is, I'm going to show you this man's heart so you can see it. And he anointed him, which is the picture of the Holy Spirit. He anointed David, right, with the oil. And he anointed him as king. And he wasn't the king. He wasn't physically the king, right, because the time hadn't come. We'll say, you know, he was anointed but not appointed yet, right? He anointed him with the oil in front of all his brothers. And so you can imagine the brothers are looking like, what? How do we miss that? I would have never chosen that guy, right? Come on, he's probably like five foot two, okay? Nothing against short people, right? Praise God, God got a a place for you. Got gifts for you too, right? Nothing against short people, but we would have never thought about him. And since the enemy may be telling you guys right now that no one's thinking or considering you, but God is. He has a special gift for each and every one of you. You don't have a place in the world but you have a place in the body of Christ, and God wants to use you. And what's more special about that is he doesn't have to, he wants to, right? God can do it all by himself, he can, but he desires to use your life, to use the gifts that he has given you, so when you stand before him one day, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful with little, now be ruler of many, right? And I can't wait for that special day before I st- when I stand before the Lord because I want to run my race well. And I pray and hope that I'll be able to hear those blessed words. Well done, my good and faithful servant, right? And so I want to take this time as we close. I didn't think I'd make it this far, but praise God. we we'll take this time as we close. I want to offer the opportunity because I don't, I don't know where all of you are with the Lord. And the Bible tells us that time and chance happens to us all but God wills that none shall perish, no, not one. And so God's law tells us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin brings forth death, which is separation for all eternity. Hell is real, heaven is real. God desires that we would be with him, but ultimately he'll honor your decision one way or another. And so I would like to give you an opportunity to have your judgment day today, right? For Christ to stand in your place. And so what the Bible says is that if we confess Christ, what he's done, before man, before people, right, he'll confess us before all the holy angels and his Father. And The holy angels is a lot more than the people that are not here, a lot more, right? But he says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father and all the holy angels, right? And so what he says is all you have to do is you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You agree that he is Lord, that he paid the payment in full on the cross, that is finished, right? And is that if I believe in your heart, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, proving that he paid the price and that you can be right before him, he says you will be saved. And that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved and they won't come into judgment. And so, for anyone here who has not surrendered their life and has not made that confession, I want to give you an opportunity to do that now so you can know for sure that if you walk out of here tonight and you have your day, Right, everyone has an appointed time that you can stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in all of His glory, not naked, but clothed in Christ's righteous robes. So, if there's anyone in here right now who wants who has not done that and wants to make that profession today, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody, praise God. God bless you, brother. I see you. Praise the Lord. Angels are rejoicing right now. Amen. I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray for you. Father in heaven. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize, Lord, that I've fallen short of your holy, perfect, righteous standard. But Lord, I also hear from the words of of the Bible, Lord, that you died for me, that you love me so much, that you will that none shall perish, and that your death on the cross paid in full for my sin, and that if, if I trust in you, fully in you for my salvation, that I'll be saved. And so, Lord, I confess that to you today. That I have passed from death to life. I have passed from the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light. And for that I rejoice. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saint said, Amen. Amen. Amen.